Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Get great fall savings on all your home care and entertaining needs during the fall home care event at Safeway. Head into Safeway and get deals on products like Clorox disinfecting wipes, Swiffer wet mopping cloths, Lysol all-purpose cleaner, Swiffer wet jet mopping pads, Mr. Clean multi-surface cleaner, or Lysol power toilet bowl cleaner. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local store for more details. Offers expire October 31st. Restriction supply promotions may vary. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Come on, girls. Let's go shopping. That's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. What are you looking at? Go look at a boy jumping there. You're mad, you bastard. Far am you. Far am you. There's no cash here. Here, there's no cash. All right? Cash, no. Robo? No cash. Swear to Christ, please, you get a bag of all sorts in here, mate. Welcome to Walk Walk. Hello and welcome to The Last New Wave, the podcast that looks at the wide and varied landscape that is Australian cinema. I wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that this podcast is being recorded on, the Wajak people of Perth. I wish to acknowledge the traditional owners of the country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to the lands, borders and community. We pay respects to them and their cultures and to the elders both past and present. On this particular episode, uh, it's a bit of an old one actually that I'm putting in here. Uh, it should have actually come out a little bit earlier this year and that is an interview that I had with David Stratton. Uh, and the reason why I didn't put it out when uh, we discussed the documentary David Stratton, A Cinematic Life, uh, was mostly because the audio quality isn't too crash hot uh, with this, this particular interview. Uh, it's still a worthwhile interview and listening to, um, but unfortunately on the day that I recorded, David was feeling quite under the weather, just like my voice sounds at the moment. Um, and when I recorded as well, I was recording in the uh, the foyer area of the Windsor Cinema in Perth, um, which understandably comes with its own sort of background noises as well. Popcorn, uh, bottles being open, people talking and stuff like that. Um, So that was partially the reason why I didn't release it. And it was also just a case of, you know, I wanted to save it until the actual TV show was coming out as well. And it's out. It's on ABC. Uh, the first episode has screened, uh, and I believe it's screening under the title of David Stratton's Stories of Australian Cinema. So where the documentary a Cinematic Life basically covered uh, parts of David Stratton's life and as well the backstory of Australian cinema, um, this particular series looks into both his life as well as Australian cinema a lot more Uh, detail and more in-depth than that short documentary did so hence why I thought I'd I'd wait until this came out and kind of release it then Um, first episode as I was saying is up it's on iview at the moment I'm not sure what the accessibility uh, case is like for international listeners but regardless I'll put the links in the show notes to check it out Um, ABC iview has also got at the the same time to kind of um, go along with the release of this the series a bunch of Australian films which I do highly recommend seeking out some of them we've covered on this podcast before such as Lantana and Wake and Fright and a few others like Careful He Might Hear You 
My Brilliant Career, They're a Weird Mod, Mob, Walkabout, and Newsfront. Um, they're really good films, so I do highly recommend checking out, and you know, they're free to air, which is also really great. At the end of this podcast as well, well, my interview with David Stratton, I've added in the Q&A session which occurred with Mark McGlazius and David Stratton after the screening occurred. Um, It's quite a long one. Again, the audio quality isn't crash hot, but, you know, if if you stick through that, you do get some interesting discussions. So that's the main thing. Now, the one thing that I've been forgetting to do and plug on this show is making sure that people know to head along to go to ozflix.tv the streaming service where essentially if you are interested in Australian cinema then you can head along and rent a lot of Australian films to watch it's really exciting there's a lot of great stuff on there they they do bundles as well so you know, you can rent a, a thematic bum, bundle for a couple of, uh, for five, six days or so and watch them all there. And there's also a bunch of uh, Q&A sessions and, and things like that, which is really entertaining and interesting to dive into. So ozflix.tv, highly recommend it. Um, that's about it from me. As I was saying, it's a bit of a long one with some fairly average audio quality, but if you enjoy these kinds of discussions and you don't mind uh, sitting through that audio quality, then there's some interesting topics uh, to be heard. Thanks again for listening, and here we go. Thank you very much for sitting down and having a talk about um, not only your film, but, you know, the, the life of uh, reviewing films as well. Um, one of the things I'm really curious about is where the, the changing landscape of film criticism in Australia and the world has gone and how do you think that it will progress in the future? So, which is a bit of a loaded question, I guess. Or Yeah, I'm very bad at making predictions, I must say. Obviously, um, with the challenges facing the print media and uh, even television reviewers in short supply, thanks to the defection of Margaret and myself, I guess. Um, I, I think uh, it's becoming more of a challenge for a reviewer to establish a link with his or her readership. Sure. Um, of course, the, the bloggers galore, which is great. I mean, yeah. Jackie Weaver, have you seen the film? I have, yeah, I watched it last night okay. at home. Yeah, Jackie Weaver makes uh, a comment about, about uh, bloggers, but you know, I think um, she's a bit harsh because uh, I think they're, um, uh, they're, they're doing what I would have done had I known, had, had the technology there mm. when I was young. So. Yeah. And certainly, I mean, for me, I grew up watching a show and absolutely love it. And I think part of At The Movies and The Movie Show for me was something that helped increase my interest in film and love of film. So that was, I'm eternally grateful for that. (laughs) Um, The documentary is equally about your life as well as Australian cinema, which I absolutely love the fact that it it covers such a, a broad aspect of that. One of the questions that's always raised about Australian cinema is why do Australian films struggle to find an audience? I mean, films like Porno last year, which I thought was absolutely brilliant, deserve to have a wider audience. Why do you think that is? 
Well, I think um, it's, a lot of it is to do with distribution. Um, a film like Porno, which was made, and I agree with you, I think it's a super film. Um, thank you. It's pretty hot, actually. Um, those guys made it for nothing. Yes, yeah. But then finding distribution proved to be a real challenge. And in fact, um, they sent me a, a, a screener to ask me what I thought, and this does happen sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was terrific and um, encouraged them to. Uh, and, and, and in fact, I said, if you put on a screening in Sydney as a sort of, um, I'll do a Q&A with you afterwards. Sure. And, um, and then I showed it to Margaret, and Margaret liked it too. So in fact, we both did a Q&A with her. Oh, great. Yeah. And, uh, and that probably helped it get the small distributor that they got. Mm. Uh, but even so, it was a, you know, the, the, the distributor had no... I don't think they knew what they had. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's probably true. Yeah. Like I saw it on a Friday evening at nine o'clock and that was the only session that was showing in the week that it came out. So it's it's quite sad. But yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things which as well is you that films can be often a reflection of ourselves and the society that we live in and you know, it's touching to hear about how the film might careful he might hear you resonate with you. How important is it for us as film viewers to have those kinds of connections with films? Well, this was something I learned from the documentary. I was unaware of um, those links. Mm -hmm. um, and Sally Aiken, the director, um, very cleverly, um, without letting me in on what she was doing, um, uh, teased out those connections and um, and it got me thinking that, that um, maybe a lot of the films that I really respond to have some personal hmm. connection like Newsfront which is a story about brothers who are rivals you know, <laughs> um, or at least don't get on very well um, so and I've been trying to think about this uh, since I saw the film, which I, I only saw the final film about a week ago. Oh, so, sure. Two weeks ago. We, uh, we've only finished filming it um, about ten days before Christmas. All right, okay. Because, of course, there's a longer cut that's coming uh, eventually. It's very difficult. Yeah. Um, the television version is, is three one hours and the approach is different. Some of the some of the um, some of the content is the same. Mm -hmm. But I think and it's a while since I did see the T V version sometime. Um, I think there's less of the personal story of me and more of a I think. But I could be wondering about it. She may have changed it since I saw sure. <laughs> Well, films are often a changing medium yes. as they're getting made, yeah. The film festivals as well that you've helped curate, like the British Film Festival, which um, actually shown here at the Windsor in Perth, yep. uh, which is fantastic, um, have been great and they've shown old and new films. Yep. And often, like, when people watch that, the movies and the movie show, of course, 
they would take your recommendations, like yeah. Samson, Delilah, for example, yeah. And, yeah. and go along and see it. How important is it for you with these festivals to help get people interested in the older films? Well, I think it's very important, um, because I think um, the cinema has such a rich history, <laughs> so much to discover. I'm discovering things every day, practically. Um, and uh, it's, um, uh, yeah. I think it's sad that, that some filmmakers don't show any interest in um, the history of yeah. cinema. I, 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 I think it's a filmmaker like Martin Scorsese is, is a great film historian. He's almost as obsessive, well, he probably is as obsessive as I am. Yes. Um, and um, uh, so he, I, think, I think that obsession makes him a better filmmaker. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Bertrand Savernier is another who's complete, um, completely devoted to cinema. Well, that's the thing is that, you know, talking about Martin Scorsese, it's, it's, for me as a film viewer, it's kind of sad to see that, you know, his next film is unfortunately, he's had to turn to Netflix to get funding and it'll be a streaming film. Um, and you've previously said in the past that films like Lawrence of Arabia in 2001, you don't truly see them until you get to see them on a big screen, which I agree with. So how do you, how do you see the changing aspect of the way we consume films from cinema to streaming? Well, I think obviously um, people will see films how, in any way they can or want to, and a lot of people, it seems, don't really care very much how they see it. Um, I think there will always be people who will want to see films where they were designed to be seen on a big screen. Um, and I think... Um, they will get much, much more rewarding experience if they, if they do that. Yeah. yeah. One of the other things I find quite interesting as well, and you talk about it in the film with Wake and Fright in particular, that it's it's a film that is it's quite caustic. It's a fantastic film, but it's it does feel as if um, you know it's it is kind of critical of Australian way of yeah. life in, in many ways. I love particular aspect. Yeah, particular aspect. Yeah. How do you find like Australian audiences? As I mentioned before, they they don't often go to see Australian films, which is really heartbreaking because we make some truly fantastic stuff. Is it? Do you find that it's the the kind of critical nature that some of the Australian films can have that might turn them away, or...? I don't know. I, I, I think, um, I mean, there was a time at the, um, in the late 70s, early 80s, when Australian films were terribly popular, um, but I think in the 80s we made too many disappointing films, and it's just drifted away, and we haven't um, managed to lure them back. Mm. I mean, of course they come back for films like Animal Kingdom or yes. maybe one film Lion, of course. Yes. Um, Mad Max Fury Road. So. But um, it's um, uh, it's hard, I think. Once you've lost it, once there's a perception that Australian films aren't so good, mm. it's very hard to... to draw that audience back in. Yeah. I guess in the early, for me, in the early 2000s, we certainly tried a little bit too hard with some not so good comedies, I guess is the way of putting it, uh, and 
for me, I felt that that possibly lost a bit of the audience that, you know, the castle and uh, Priscilla and Muriel's wedding helped regain in a yeah. way. Yeah. And I do wonder about films like Lion, which I think is is brilliant. I absolutely love that film. And films like Hacksaw Ridge and Mad Max Fury Road, they're very international films. Yeah. How do you like? How do you find with those films? Do you still call them Australian films, even though they were? It's a it's a hard thing to. <laughs> well, I think Lion is definitely an Australian film. Um, Mad Max Fury Road is. Yeah, I mean the, the production company is Kennedy Miller, so <laughs> so it's an Australian film, even though it was filmed in Namibia or whatever. So. I am not so sure about. Hacksaw Ridge, to be honest. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, a best you could call it a co-production between America and Australia. Yeah. And of course, it's not an Australian story, um, uh, but it was filmed in Australia and gave a lot of work to a lot of Australian it did, yeah. actors and technicians. Yeah. One of the other things I'm curious about as well is that with the, the way the actor awards change from the AFIs, uh, there seems to be a bit of a you know, the films that have been rewarded have been you know, the Great Gatsby and Hacksaw Ridge and, and uh, Mad Max Fury Road as well, and of course the Babadook was rewarded too, which is yeah. fantastic. Do does this rewarding of not really Australian stories kind of how I. I as a viewer, I, I kind of feel conflicted. It's great to see Basil and get rewarded, and it's great to yeah. see these people get rewarded. But you know, of course, with the Oscars tomorrow and stuff like that, people go and see films that do win awards. Yeah, they do. Does that possibly change the the perspective for Australian audiences? Do you think? Well, you're right. I mean, uh, people do go and see award-winning mm. films, um, and. It is perhaps disappointing that um, the actor awards has been given um, the major prizes to Hacksaw Ridge and, and, and so on. But I mean, having said that, it, it, it's a democratic process. It's voted on by by the industry, and um, so yeah, you, know, <laughs> you can't help. You can't do anything about that. That's true. Yes, without it, changing the rules. Yeah, yeah. And I guess if they I mean, if the film is made in Australia, then it's technically, technically Australian. Well, I think, I think technically, if the production company is Australian, mm -hmm. I think that's the technical thing. Um, and I think Hacksaw Ridge has an American company and an Australian company. Sure. So one of the other things is, you know, in the film, is you've, you mentioned about how you've seen twenty-five thousand films. Yeah. There surely must still be some kind of black spots in your, your film history that you haven't seen, or, or particular films that you you wish that you have seen. What are they? And you know, if there's there's ones that you're still trying to seek out, for example. <laughs> uh, yeah, not many. Sure. Actually, not many. Um, I'm I'm getting there. Uh, I think most of the ones that I really would love to see, you can't see because yeah. they don't exist yeah. anymore. For example, um, Ernst Lubitsch's The Patriot, which yeah. was made in 1929 as a lost film. You can see the trailer, but you can't see the film itself. And that would have been a really interesting film mm -hmm. to see. Um, 
But um, I mean, I, I, I'm now starting to see and and just and discover films that didn't have such a reputation in their day, uh, and turn out some of them to be really quite good. Um, one of the other questions as well, you'll get two more before we wrap up. Um, how's the film consumption changed since you've finished out the movies and the movie show? After that, of course you still do written reviews, but I imagine you're not being dragged off to go and see Batman vs Superman and stuff no, like not. that, which is fortunate. I managed to miss that. Um, uh, well, that's, that's how it's changed. I mean, I, I don't... I don't get to see... Uh, I can choose more. Sure. Uh, my co-reviewer at the Australian is happy to do the films I don't want to do. Take the bullets for those. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, which is very kind of him, so, yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the last last question is one that I ask everybody I interview is, is there an Australian film that you recommend that everybody sees? It can be an underseen film, it can be recent, old. Um, any Australian film that yeah must be seen? Um, there are so many. Oh yes, so yeah. many. Um, but if I can pick maybe one that's slightly less well known, um, the last wave. Mm -hmm. Peter Weir's film. Peter Weir. Yeah. Um, I think that's a pretty impressive. It's a great film. Yeah. So, yeah. how about that? Fantastic. Thank you very much, David Tratton. I really appreciate it. I think my brother's very good. I don't believe a word he says, but I think he's very good. 
David, um, it's a, a quite a brilliant uh, feat to um, intertwine your life with uh, uh, the history of Australian cinema and uh, the film in mind that uh, yeah, you two, these films have kind of comparisons. But when you think back over your life, does the, like, the film form that large part of your kind of memory? I mean, when you think back, does like, the film literally do what it's doing in that film for you? Why do they do? I think they do, and I must say, Sally Aitken uh, did a fantastic job with this film because she teased out some of these connections which I was unaware of. For example, the the uh, the scene from the Careful You Might Hear You with John Hargroves as the father coming to see his son who he hasn't seen for years and giving him a useless gift. Um, and then Sally filming me talking about my father coming back from the war and giving me what I thought was a useless gift. Uh, that had not occurred to me. Maybe I, I, I like that film so much because of that connection that I wasn't even aware of. So, um, and then I, you know, there are other links and connections too. I've been thinking about it since I saw the film. I only saw the film for the first time a couple of weeks ago. So, um, it's, uh, uh, I, I, I've been thinking about other connections with not just Australia, but other
fighting that. And I, I felt actually that it was there was a stigma attached to going to the cinema. And what age? Not that not that it bothered me, but that's. And was there a moment later where you started to see film as an art form as opposed to escapism and entertainment? Is there a moment in which you start saying, well, this is something that rivals literature and other art forms? Yeah, I think that happened when I was about 16. Mm-hmm. Um, my father, because he, as you saw in the film, uh, there was this grocery business which had been established in the 1820s by my great-great-grandfather, I think, or maybe it's three greats in there, I'm not sure, but anyway. Um, and when I was very small, my grandfather, my father's father, ran the business. Um, when my father came home from the war, he ran the business, and I was expected to take over and run the business too. Um, and I thought I would, I thought that was my destiny. I never thought that I would do anything else. Um, I did want to have a bit of a break before I um, was locked into that life. And the opportunity came when uh, I met an Australian guy in, in, uh, who was visiting England. And uh, he was a very, uh, he was only there for a couple of weeks, but we were, we were sharing the same lodgings. And he told these wonderful stories about Australia just great, you know, you have to come, it's wonderful. You can come on the 10 pound scheme, you've got to stay two years, but you know, you can do that. You can stay with me in Sydney, and you know, all. So he was persuaded, so I came. And uh, unfortunately, by the time I got to Sydney, it took a couple of years to organize. Uh, Telling my father, I'll be back in two years. by the time I got to Sydney, my friend Jerry, had, uh, who was a dentist, had bought a practice in Gunnedah in northern New South Wales. And so I couldn't stay with him in Sydney. And um, so I had to uh, find accommodation, the word, and so on. So on. And, then, and I, I saved up my money and, uh, to get the ship. It was all my ship at those times. Um, back to um, back to England, but then the Sydney Film Festival intervened. David, what was the Australian cinema landscape like at that point? I mean, we—it's it's about the air we breathe. You know, we look at the credits, but in 1960, the early 1960s, the mid 1960s, it really we, there was nothing, was there? No, there was nothing. Really, really nothing. There was the odd um, foreign film made in Australia like the sundowners or on the beach. Um, but there was there was nothing else. Yeah. There a weird one was made in 1966. Yeah. And that was a big success. And uh, I think people thought, well, Australian films could be fun from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it was fortuitous that you arrived at that moment because the Australian film industry was just starting to emerge, I guess, in the late 1960s. Yeah. I guess you attribute part of the success of your career in a certain kind of luck that uh, oh, yeah. you know you rose on the back of Australian cinema, strapped and Australian cinema become kind of interconnected. Yes, I mean I've been, as I said in the film, I've been very lucky yeah. indeed, uh, and I, I think with any kind of um, artistic profession, 
luck plays almost as big a role as, as talent. Um, so I've certainly had more than like I should have like. And I, I, I was because because I was involved in the film society movement of England before coming to Australia. Um, I started the film society in my hometown when I was 19 years old, and um, so I had a, 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 a big background in, in, in film in England. I've seen all the new films, films that hadn't yet come to Australia because films were slower coming to Australia in those days, many of them. Um, and I was asked to, after a couple of years of being here, I was asked if I would direct the Sydney Film Festival. And I mean, that was, what a job that was. Um, and I did that for 18 years. Okay, we have any questions in the audience, we'll move and I'll keep asking if you don't ask, but uh, if anyone's got a question, we can move to the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, my question to David is, do you think any Australian government is ever going to be as enthusiastic about, I mean obviously not this one, enthusiastic about supporting the film industry as it was in the 70s? And where should young artists in the film industry turn for lack of that support? Well, um, certainly in the 70s, um, and, and you know it was a, it was a coalition government that started uh, supporting the Australian film industry uh, on various levels. And that was because of uh, lobbying by people like Philip Adams and uh, uh, Tony Buckley, who saw in the documentary and others. Um, where to now? I, I, I mean, uh, the, the cost of making films in this country, at least cinema films, um, has Some um, 
show an elements. It was a sort of multi, what we call today a multimedia event. So it was, it was, it was staging and it was film, but it, it wasn't a film. Yes. Yes. That's the reason. I might say, but it is contentious. I think that it, it, yeah. it holds the claim that it was over sixty minutes and it was, uh, you know, it was a film, like the Warden documentary. What? Sorry. That it, it does hold the claim of being the first. Well, I'm certainly going to go the story of the Kelly game, but I, I, from the research I've done, I would say it wasn't what we would call a feature. Uh, David, um, I'll ask a quick question. Are we getting a mic in here? Somewhere? Oh, okay, yes. David, I'd like to see every film you've given four or five stars to. Sorry, I'll start again. Uh, I'd like to see every film to which you've given four or five stars. Do you have a list of them available anywhere present? <laughs> no. Oh, no, certainly not. Um, uh, I'm afraid I have to disappoint you there. I, I don't. Um, but I guess one of the things I really hope um, will come out of seeing this documentary that you've seen this evening um, will be to try and track down some of the films that we, we, we mention and to look at them um, again or maybe for the first time. Um, because as Mark said, we, we, we have a really great uh, film industry and, and uh, it's not always given the honor that it's due, I think. And uh, these films that we've seen right there, most of those are fairly available, but they're they represent about 5% of the output, yeah. 95%. If you go looking for any of those films that you covered <laughs> from the 80s, that just, they're not going to be bad. That's true. I mean, there are some films that, that just have disappeared, um, which, is, which is very sad. I mean, 30 years ago, and, and we can't find them anymore. But, um, so, uh, and, and I should also say that the, the, the television version of the documentary you just seen, I keep calling it a documentary, but it's sort of a hybrid, I, I think, because there's so much, um, so, so much um, footage from Australian films that are fiction. It's sort of kind of a strange mixture of things. Yes, the next question, I don't know where they are. No questions? Oh, okay. Oh, yes, over here. Um, Dave, can you talk a little more about your attitude to Rock Stopper that was mentioned in the film, considering you're so anti-censorship? I never um, proposed that uh, Rock Stopper be banned. Um, I, I was falsely accused of saying something about destroying the negative. I never said that. Um, I would support the film's right to be seen uh, totally. And I think in some ways it's, it's, a, it's a, a very powerful, very good, well-made film. And certainly very right. Um, but I, I felt then, and I still feel now, that it was also had the potential of being a dangerous film. Uh, a film that, that would um, stir up 
violence, racial violence, uh, at a time when there was, uh, in some cities in Australia, especially in Melbourne, um, this was a problem. And uh, after I, I, I took the, we probably it was silly of me not to score the film or
wives and infidelities and divorces and so on and so on. It, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. So distracted what about the 30th summer, isn't it? You can see who you are through some of it. Yeah, Dan. Okay. Hi, Dan. I was just wondering if you have a particular process or system that you go through to determine a final start for a film? Well, sort of. Um, I, I try to weigh out various elements of the film. Um, so, so uh, first of all, you look at the overall film and, and see if, if in your view, my view, uh, it succeeds in what it sets out to do. That's probably the most important thing. But then there are elements that might give it an extra half star or a star, like if it's really well shot or, or, or photographed or, or with some stunning acting. So there's various elements that go into it which might up the score or sometimes lower the score. Yes. Where's the microphone? Uh, oh, it's all good. Oh, where do you want this? I don't know. Thanks very much for the film there. It was wonderful. But it's, it's very much a, a historic view of the cinema, Australian cinema. And now things are changing. Cinema and movies are not the same anymore. The theatre is different. And television in particular having a big effect on that. Television series now seem to me to be reflecting a lot more about culture and history of the society through even Australian television. What do you see as the effect of television, the present trends in television towards more serious there, and taking money away from the cinema too, if the funders will go into television series where the people funding the cinema, people funding the series will know they've got more um, they come more of an audience rather than the TV cinema audience. So, how would you see the longer term effects of television and the present trends in television on the cinema? Well, ever since almost it began, the cinema has been uh, told that it won't last. Um, first of all, um, there was when it moved to sound and then. When television came on in the first place, and cinemas closed all over the place, and now they're opening again. Uh, I believe Palace are opening a complex in Perth very soon, is that right? Yeah. Um, so that would suggest that um, the people who are putting their money where their mouth is see a future in the cinema. And having said that, People have been telling me I'm afraid for a long time that I should watch drama on television. And because, for various reasons, I didn't have the time or whatever. And recently I thought, well, I, I, I must be missing out on something here. So I got a, a couple of um, television series, Top of the Lake was one, and Mildred Pierce was the other one. And uh, watched them over two or three nights. And uh, my impression of both of them was the same. 
here is a less than two hour film, grossly extended into something like six hours. And for no apparent uh, benefit. I mean, the Michael Curtis version of Doing Pierce, I think, is very much better, even though it deviates from the book, is very much better than Todd Haynes' um, flaccid and um, bloated television series. So, I'm sure people will disagree with that, but uh, so I've been frightened to watch other television series. I have a feeling I'm going to be disappointed too. I feel David that uh, cinema still retains the power to move people in a way that television can't. We've watched a film like Lion. People are, are weeping at the end of the, the series of the film. I've not, I've not heard of people being that moved by television, even though they're highly intrigued by television. Yeah, I, I, I tend to have a week every week on watching Q&A. <laughs> Buffalo wings, I guess you don't go for buffalo wings as well. 
do you carry any, any of that kind of baggage into, into reviewing, or are you able to put it all aside? Singing doves. <laughs> Singing doves. Singing doves, okay. So the sound of music is not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, flying doves, I don't like that either. <laughs> any actor that you're attached to? <laughs> um, no matter how good they are, you just their faces, their gestures, their manners. No, I don't think so. Open-minded. Yes. Uh, I saw Moonlight last week, and I was wondering what your opinion of it was. I thought it was very good. Um, in fact, I think it has a good chance of winning the Oscar tomorrow. Um, for all sorts of reasons. I mean, everybody thinks La La Land is going to win, which I also like very much. can't understand the backlash against La La Land. It's such a delightful film. But anyway, but I have a feeling that Moonlight might get up. But uh, uh, my predictions are famously wrong, so <laughs> don't take that too seriously. Got a couple more questions. So hang on a second. We've got here. Later in the middle. Hi David, thanks for the film, it was great. Um, I've got two questions. Firstly, firstly, um, I was wondering, this is a tough one, what your favourite film of all time is? And secondly, as you mentioned, the Academy Awards are tomorrow, and we happen to have an Australian film nominated for Best Foreign Film, Tanner. And I was just wondering what you thought of that film and what you think its chances are of winning. Um, my favourite film, uh, not necessarily the best film, because that's too hard to find. But the film I revisit probably once a year um, is Singing the Rain. Um, Tanner, I think, is, is a terrific film. It's not the foreign, best foreign film, it's the best foreign language film. And uh, so that's, that's the category in which it's been selected as the, one of the five nominees. Uh, I don't think it will win. There's a very fine um, German film called Telly Urban, um, and there's a very interesting Danish film called Land of Mine, both, both competing there. But who knows? The foreign language uh, selection is, is, is handled by a different group of people from the main academy, and they very often come out with decisions that are so out of left field that you, you follow. So it's possible that Tanner could win. It would be wonderful if it did. Have any of you, many of you seen Tanner? Yeah. Not many of you have seen Tanner. It's very good. I explained that. It was a set in the South Pacific, I think. In Pradoache, it was, it was filmed uh, on one of the southernmost islands of the, the Vanuatu archipelago by two Australians. Uh, and it's uh, a, a love story about among the members of the tribe who had that particular island, which is sort of a remote island from the rest of Vanuatu, and uh, it's uh, it's it's a simple film, but really touching. Done with non-professional actors, I guess. Non-professional actors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Lucy, after that. David, I'd like to um, beg your indulgence on a question that was raised a couple of minutes ago, and uh, 
with respect to one has pressed my buttons often when you've done reviews. Um, what is the origin of your intense dislike of handheld camera work? <laughs> um, again, I have to slightly um, correct you. Uh, I don't have a problem with handheld camera work if it's done with competence. Um, but so often it's not. And um, it, it's, I mean, some of my favorite films were done with handheld cameras. Breathless, for example, is a, is a hand, is from John with a handheld camera. But there became a trend, um, possibly initiated by the lonesome Mars von Trier, um, or maybe, or Paul, Paul Greengrass, who's a, who's a great sinner in this department, um, where uh, it, it was felt to give a, a more documentary feel to the film by throwing the camera around, um, which serves for, for many people, many audiences, if they're seeing the result on a big screen, um, it gives them nausea. And, and I've heard of people who threw up in the cinema and caused a lot of angst um, for the cleaning stuff. Um, I, I think handheld, a sort of loose shooting is fine, but this swinging around like this is a lazy and um, dead end form of cinematography. And you'll notice there was none of it in the film because the first day uh, we went, uh, I spoke to the cinematographer, Kevin Scott, who's very, very good cinematographer. And he said, you don't have to tell me, I know. <laughs> I was actually hoping there would be some of that in there for, uh, for, for the point. <laughs> David, I'd like to wrap up our uh, wonderful uh, uh, session we've had here today. I want to ask you one, one final question. Are you more excited about the films you're going to be seeing new films over the next four or five years, or are you looking forward to plunging back into the history of cinema? I know an author like Philip Roth said there's not reading any new books, he's just going back and rereading the classics. And I mean, I sometimes feel like that as well. I would rather go back and watch, you know, On the Waterfront for the, the tenth time, or Breathless, or, you know, whatever, you know, a bit of Wilder film than I would the latest films. Are you, are you a bit in that stage of your life, or are you still alive to the new films? I, I'm still curious uh, about the new films. Um, but I've not seen as many new films now as I did when we were doing the television program because I don't have to. Um, so I don't have to see um, terrible American comedies that think that fighting and defecating is fun, that sort of thing. You know? um, I, I don't have to submit myself to that. Um, and yet another boring superhero film, you know, thank goodness I don't have to see any more of those. And Nothing. I was the name of that great book, Nicholas Sparks. I don't have to. I don't have to go to another dreary Nicholas Sparks romance. Um, so I can choose uh, now what I see. But um, I'm constantly looking at films from the past. What's your favourite Billy Wilder film? The Apartment. I think it's the. It's got very good faces, man. <laughs> the Apartment is, The Apartment, I think, is one of the greatest American films. And if you haven't seen The Apartment, it is an amazing 1960 um, 
we're at the Oscar for best film that year. One, in fact, it's one of the rare commodities to win an Oscar. Yeah, but it's not entirely a comedy. So um, it's just a very beautiful, moving, fun. Yeah, it is. Sometimes fun. when people raise the comedies with drama, I think that's the lamest question. It's just a great story. It's a great story. And you know, Billy Wilder was going to go to direct Schindler's List at one point. And that's the film I wanted to see. Dave, what a wonderful session we've had. I, I don't know whether Dave's going to make himself available for a few minutes after, or are you running off to anyone wants to shake his hand? I think I honestly need to get to bed. Indeed. You would want to shake his hand anyway. No, you would. Now, um, the film will be opening, as you see, on the 9th at Cinema Paradiso, and the television series may be down the track, I think, isn't it? Yeah, middle of the year, I think. Yeah. And, and the television series is different in many ways. I mean, some of it's the same, but in many ways it's different. So, thank you, Dennis. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. A great Q&A, and thank you all very much indeed. It's been a very warm audience, and I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Last New Wave. Hopefully you enjoyed that discussion with David Stratton as well as the Q&A session after that particular film. As mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the TV series, which is David Stratton Presents, Stories of Australian Cinema, is available to watch on iview, which is iview.abc.net.au. I believe the episodes will be up until the end of July. Uh, After that, I'm not too sure where they'll be available but uh, if you're certainly interested that's where to head over and and seek it out if you're interested in watching more australian films make sure to head over to ausflix tv and that's ausflix.tv to rent a whole bunch of really great australian films if you like hearing me discuss australian cinema then head over to abfilmreview.com to hear previous episodes of the last new wave as well as listening to episodes of the other show that we do which is ab film review where we discuss uh, not just australian films but american films all sorts of different films and if you like more film discussions then you can head over to followingfilms.com where you can hear such great shows like Pop Culture Case Study, War Machine vs. War Horse and the Following Films podcast where Chris Maynard interviews a bunch of really great people about their films. Really, really fascinating stuff. Uh, You can also follow us on social media, The Last New Wave on both Facebook and on Twitter. And look, it'd be a great help if you went over to iTunes or whichever uh, service that you are listening on and leave a review if you can. just helps make the show a little bit more uh, clearer to be able to see for other people who might be interested. So once again, thanks for listening and keep on watching Australian films and I'll see you on the next episode of The Last New Wave. this podcast support it and sponsor today simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details 
something grand is coming to Nemecolon. Opening fall 2023, the Grand Lodge will surprise and delight with 56 stunning suites and five-star butler services. Indulge in libations at the Circle Bar and the Study before you savor the new and enchanting Fawn and Fable restaurant, where the best parts of a traditional steakhouse and a fairy tale castle create a magical dining experience. With fine dining, a spa, and over 100 adventure, golf, art, and wildlife experiences, whatever your imagination holds, Nemecolon has the key. Visit Nemecolon.com for more information.